I'm Dick Morningstar, the founding director of our Global Energy Center here at the Atlantic Council. And it's really a pleasure uh, for me to say good afternoon and welcome here. And we're uh, very much honored uh, to uh, host uh, His Excellency, the Czech Minister of Industry and Trade, Jan Mladic, during and also his delegation uh, here today uh, <clears throat> during, during his visit to Washington. Uh, I will say that Minister Mladic, in his role as Minister of Industry and Trade, is responsible uh, for uh, Czech, uh, Czech energy policy. Uh, and the minister will deliver remarks on the state of Czech energy and economic affairs, focusing particularly on the European Energy Union, on nuclear energy, which has been such an issue in the Czech Republic uh, for a long time, including all the years that I visited, uh, visited Prague. Uh, and he'll also discuss how the Czech Republic's economy and energy security have been impacted by the conflict uh, in Ukraine. Uh, and the minister's remarks will be, f uh, will be followed by a moderated discussion with David Karani, who's our director of the Eurasian Energy Futures Initiative uh, here at the Atlantic Council. Uh, let me say uh, briefly that Minister Melodic has also served, uh, well, he's, he's served just in the past year as the uh, Minister of Industry and Trade. Uh, he also serves as the chairman of the Czech Social Democratic Party's Economic Policy Committee. He's previously held distinguished, any number of distinguished positions, uh, such as director of the Czech Institute for Applied Economics, minister of agriculture, uh, and economic advisor to the prime minister. Uh, I also, uh, before turning the uh, uh, microphone over to the minister, um, would, one, I'd like to welcome our president, Fred Kemp. And, you know, Fred's here. Not He doesn't want to say anything. He just came to listen to Minister Melodic. Uh, but uh, he's here. So uh, welcome to Fred. Also, Ambassador Petra Gondolovic. Uh, and again, the uh, whole dele the whole, uh, uh, the whole Czech delegation. Uh, so having said that, again, we're very pleased to have you here today. And ladies and gentlemen, please extend a warm welcome uh, to His Excellency Minister Jan Mladic. Honorable guests, ladies and gentlemen, please allow me to start that I am uh, very honored uh, to be here with you today uh, to have possibility to, to discuss with you later on. Atlantic Council is uh, for us very symbolic. It uh, represents partnerships across Atlantic, and this partnership is close to our hearts. I'm proud to represent the Czech Republic, which has been a great supporter of the transatlantic relations. Even the Czechoslovakia has been created uh, only because uh, bold support of uh, American elite 100 years ago by President Wilson and the others because uh, before 100 years, Professor Tomáš Garik Masaryk was uh, probably somewhere here in Washington lobbying for establishment of uh, Czechoslovakia, and he succeeded. This is something what, uh, what is for us of, of big importance, and that's why uh, we, are, uh, we are seeing trans transatlantic uh, partnership as extremely important, and uh, we, would be, we would like uh, to extend it from this uh, military association called NATO to 
economic association called TTIP nowadays. And uh, I would like to stress that uh, my ministry, the whole country, is uh, ready to support the development in this uh, area of uh, uh, free trade zone between uh, European Union and the United States of, uh, of America. In short, the Czech Republic and United States share the same value of freedom, liberty, respect for human rights, and uh, we are united in a number of uh, international issues. Please allow me to tackle those points which have been uh, mentioned. Um, first of all, uh, general economic situation in the Czech Republic. Uh, I am representing the government which is in power a uh, year and a half, roughly. And uh, our main ambition was to renew economic, uh, economic growth, uh, to decrease unemployment. And um, we have first results, I must say. Uh, we have reached the growth 2% last year. Uh, we are expecting even, even bigger growth, 2.7 uh, this year, and uh, the outlook is very good. It has been proved uh, once again also in practice that in economic life, important role is played by expectations. They must be positive expectations, and this is causing that uh, households and companies are consuming and investing and economy, uh, economy is growing. However, besides the positive expectation, you must do, as a government, uh, a lot of uh, active, uh, active steps to make sure that uh, those expe expectations are fulfilled. We have, uh, we have decided that uh, we will go back to the policy of obtaining FDIs, and um, we have uh, renewed activities of uh, Czech Invest, uh, the agency for promotion of uh, Czech Republic as a target country for, for FDIs. We have, uh, uh, we have first result of this, uh, of this policy. Um, last year, uh, we have got uh, two big Korean companies to invest in the Czech Republic, and also American company Amazon uh, to invest into huge uh, logistic uh, center uh, around Prague. Uh, this year, hopefully, they will come uh, another investment, uh, and uh, this policy is uh, bringing uh, results. We are trying to, uh, to get new investors, and as well, we are pushing the current invest investors to develop to expand their businesses. That's why we are seeing as extremely important what happened earlier this year, the Škoda Auto, what is one of the oldest investors into the Czech Republic, decided to expand its production of cars in the Czech Republic, and not only expand over the production of cars uh, as so far, but uh, to, to have Czech Republic as, as a center of SUV production. Uh, probably not only for Škoda, but also for Seat. It means uh, uh, higher quality cars, high quality cars uh, for uh, for higher price and with higher value uh, value added. Uh, this is uh, this is our goal to actively look for for uh, for, for investment. We have uh, reopened uh, offices abroad. We have uh, offices of Czech Invest here in New York. San Francisco, and also in Düsseldorf and London in Europe, and in Shanghai, Tokyo, and Seoul in the Korean, uh, Korean Republic. Those are uh, the places where we are searching for investment. Actually, here in the, in the US, our, our 
I am now here with a group of uh, aerospace industries. We would like to go into production of, uh, of airplanes, helicopters. We are partially successful, but uh, we should do much more. And the dream investor would be Tesla Motors, because we do believe that we are ideal country for potential success of electric cars, because uh, we are the country with 100-year-old tradition of production of cars. Currently, we are producing more than one million cars per, uh, per year with three final producers. And uh, last but not least, we are a huge exporter of electricity, uh, 10 terawatts net uh, yearly. So ideally, we would be the country, hopefully, which would make this uh, breakthrough through finally to produce this electric car. But it will be probably a long way to go because uh, this is uh, this is a big challenge. Anyway, we will we will try because what uh, what we are facing now is how to how to move from uh, mid-income country, even if it is upper upper end of this mid-income country, to the really developed country, and this this may be quite a quite a challenge. I think we have identified uh, what are what are the bottlenecks of uh, our our future development. They are basically two. It's a development of uh, of uh, technical education, and uh, I would say even wider harmonization of uh, of uh, demand for labor force and supply of labor force, because uh, surprisingly to many people who were forecasting uh, post-industrial society. Czech Republic has one third of GDP produced in manufacturing, and it seems that we will continue in this direction. Uh, and um, experience of European countries is that during the crisis 2008-2009, much better survived this, those problems country uh, that were strong in manufacturing or generally to say in the real economy. Uh, we would like to continue with this, but we must have uh, labor supply that is reflecting this, that we are the manufacturing country. This is the one thing uh, I would say easier. Much more difficult one is to have proper absorption of R&D, because this is doing countries really wealthy. Those wealthy countries, not only they have uh, FDIs or, or multinational investment into sentine manufacturing that they are able to produce on mass innovations that are introduced into industry and not only into industries, also in other sectors of, uh, of, of economy. That's not easy because uh, local resources not yet good. Multinationals time to time uh, do have tendency to keep R&D at home because it has been discovered that for control of your business, it may be uh, very often even more important than capital control, because if you know how to produce, you will always get somehow the money. Uh, we, must, uh, we must go over, over that. We are trying to, uh, to take work lessons, not only here in the United States, but uh, we are trying to take experience uh, from Germany, which is uh, Fraunhofer Institute. It is a bit statistic with a big role of the state, but it's working. We are trying to use the experience of Israel, which is very successful in uh, connecting the businesses with uh, natural scientists. But I must say, in this area, it's uh, is very difficult to transfer know-how, 
because here you are talking about the difference of being a really developed country and being only a middle-income country. So this is the challenge in the economy uh, we, are, uh, we will be facing in the, in the future. And obviously, uh, saying that uh, there is another issue beside investment that uh, we are a traditional export country, and so we are, we are trying to do as much as possible to export because this is bringing also uh, the working places uh, into into Czech Republic. Saying that, it means that, uh, first of all, we should develop uh, being a positive part of European integration, because for us, the Europe is uh, the biggest market. It used to be 81% 2013. It was already more than 82% in, uh, in last year. It's, it's a major export market for, for Czech exporters. Actually, uh, we, we had ambition, which was not so far successful, that uh, we should go a bit outside European Union. And what, what uh, the question is, what may be a reason for it? If uh, there is a single market created for trading and actually uh, those, um, uh, the whole single market will develop to support trading in between entities inside this single market. The story is very simple. Um, the market in Europe is uh, very developed and, uh, um, and full of competitors and for Czech companies it's uh, uh, time to time very difficult to, to be successful with uh, final products and with investment goods, what was traditionally uh, Czech export. It means the whole factories or, or trams or railway equipment and it's not, not, so, not so easy to get in those and so we have seen the possibilities outside uh, outside European Union. There have been some successes. We have, for example, strong relation with Turkey, which is uh, developing very, uh, very positively. We are trying to develop our relations with China. However, we, uh, we had also significant setbacks in uh, last year. We have a huge drop of uh, trade with Ukraine uh, because of crisis. We have uh, we have sometimes decline of, of export to Russia and uh, some other post-Soviet countries. That's why the share of European Union is growing, uh, despite our effort to go uh, to go partially outside uh, outside Europe. Please allow me uh, to tackle another big topic, uh, which is uh, energy energy supply. This is uh, playing important role nowadays, and uh, we are as a country a supporter of energy union, and we are uh, seeing energy union of uh, European Union extremely important because of two things which are both very important. It's the security of supply, and uh, many people have tendency to reduce this only to, to this topic to, to make sure that some energy is coming, and obviously it's important because uh, the routes through, uh, through Ukraine were um, under question during last winter. But we do see uh, extremely important also the second dimension of energy union, and it means in the long uh, run to deliver energy for low prices. It means to create a market inside European Union, competition, and not to, to, to minimize some kind of monopolistic positions and to make sure that uh, the companies are delivered uh, energies for low prices because otherwise it's difficult to be competitive on the, on the global markets. I'm sure you are familiar with the comparisons between uh, uh, prices that are paid by European companies and American companies in last years. This is the uh, energy union. 
As a country, I must, uh, I must say, uh, we have been during this latest crisis in a relatively comfortable situation because there was uh, quite a full consensus that uh, there is very Im important diversify both routes of supply uh, of, uh, of energies from abroad, sources from where you are buying. And the third thing I would, uh, I would, uh, I would add uh, is uh, to keep the mix of energy sources because uh, we are not dependent on one, one source of energy because it's, uh, it's uh, dangerous because there can be same time problem if you are dependent on one source of energy, for example, gas, and uh, you have no other option. This is definitely not the case of the Czech Republic. As concern of, 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 of major uh, energies, uh, we are uh, in a, a relatively comfortable situation with, uh, with oil because despite the fact that the main pipeline is going through Ukraine with the risk that it could be closed this winter, we have built already in the 90s connection to German Ingolstadt and um, it means that we can import uh, the crude oil from Italian port Terst, and we are doing it uh, one third of the Czech crude oil is, is coming from uh, this direction. So we are not dependent on Ukraine, and actually uh, from, from this one third of crude oil of the Czech Republic, uh, the source is uh, Azerbaijan, and it has a relatively long route because it's uh, uh, from uh, uh, Pipeline Baku Tbilisi Ceyhan on the Turkish uh, the Turkish um, uh, Turkish beach in uh, Mediterranean, and then to uh, to Italy and then across Alps to the to the Czech Republic, and we are able to get uh, all demand from uh, from this uh, this side if uh, the route through Ukraine would be closed. But I would, I would like to stress that uh, we would prefer to have both options open. It's always better to have uh, one, uh, two sources of, uh, of crude oil than to have only one. Uh, with the gas, uh, we are in a similar, uh, similar situation uh, because uh, beside uh, the main pipeline uh, through Ukraine, which was at risk, and I must, I must say that the big job was uh, done by Commissioner Ettinger and uh, Mr. Barroso, who made in in last day in the office, uh, they have pushed Russians and Ukrainians to sign the deal that solved uh, the problem of, uh, of last winter. <coughs> uh, that's one, one thing we, we have from Ukraine, and second, uh, uh, second uh, connection is through Nord Stream, uh, it means uh, the gas pipeline to Germany, which is connected by Opal and Gazella uh, pipelines to the Czech Republic. Besides that, uh, we have already historically diversified uh, the sources. Uh, always uh, roughly two-thirds of gas was coming from, uh, from Russia, one-third from, from Norway. In, uh, in the last, uh, uh, last two years, there is a completely new development that uh, there is a bigger share of gas which is bought on sport, sport markets in Western Europe, either, um, uh, either Germany or, 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 or Netherlands, and uh, then changing the attitude because in the past we had always long-term uh, treaties 
about the supply of, uh, of gas and sometimes formula how to calculate the price. It's not fully true anymore. Uh, we have uh, a bit uh, bigger influence of the, of the spot markets. And that is also the reason why, why we would like uh, to see inclusion of energy chapter into TTIP and to make sure that uh, US uh, shale gas will be exported to Europe. Not necessarily that we will be big buyers, but uh, because it would have definitely positive influence on, of the, on, the, on the prices. At this moment, uh, we, are, we are facing the challenge because now the Czech government uh, made agreement with Polish government that we will, we will make further diver diversification of, of the routes of gas supply into Czech Republic and that we will, we will build uh, gas pipeline Stork 2 which is connection of the Czech Republic to uh, Polish ports, we know, Ushevan, uh, where they are building uh, the terminal for liquid gas. Now, uh, we have uh, a bit uneasy debate uh, whether it's a good idea, because it's quite obvious that it's better to have two um, gas pipelines than one, but it's not so clear whether it's so necessary uh, to have three instead of two because uh, somebody must pay the bill, and uh, we have only three candidates who, who pay the bill. It can be European Union, which maybe will be willing to finance up to 10% to strengthen uh, uh, north-south uh, connections, but uh, the rest must be paid by uh, either for transit or by the consumers. And it's told consumers by, or it's allowed the companies by regulator who say that you can charge the consumers. So the prices are, are higher because you are building third uh, gas pipeline. Uh, so uh, we have been in a relatively comfortable situation. How, however, we have been quite afraid what will, what will happen if uh, the gas supply uh, would be stopped uh, this winter. Probably it would uh, cause quite a significant problem to many European countries, in particularly those uh, south, of, uh, uh, south of Slovakia. It would be a problem for, for, for Hungary, Romania, Moldova, Bulgaria, Serbia, Bosnia, Croatia, uh, those countries uh, that uh, they don't have alternative resources or small ones, no sufficient storage, and uh, they, would, uh, they would face uh, uh, quite a significant problems. That's why we are seeing as extremely important that uh, alternative gas pipeline will be will be built. And at this in this moment, uh, the the only realistic way how to solve it is to develop this uh, Azerbaijani Turkish initiative of TANAP uh, gas pipeline that would allow to uh, supply by Azerbaijani gas from Sheikh Denis to into Balkan and southern, uh, southern Italy. Unlike the other projects, it's under, under construction at this, uh, at this moment. As concern uh, uh, of the electricity, uh, it's in a way even, uh, even, the, uh, even the bigger, uh, bigger challenge, because in, uh, in Europe, um, uh, we do have a relatively uh, fragmented electricity market inside the uh, European Union. British is the island, technically, and also in the electric sense. Unfortunately, France is also the island. Not geographically, but yes, in, 
So are uh, countries like uh, Spain and Portugal, and the only electric market is in Germany and in the surrounding countries. It means including, including us. What is the consequence of current European policy and the German energy vendor? In Europe, uh, basically, uh, there was uh, the policy that you can subsidize, and you are even encouraged to subsidize renewables, but you are not supposed to subsidize the traditional sources of electricity, uh, whether it's um, coal power station or nuclear power station. Everything should be, uh, should be renewables as possible. Obviously, this has dramatic consequences because at this moment it's uh, very uh, difficult to build any uh, classical power station because it's not clear whether you will be able to pay it back to the, to the investors. So we are, uh, we are in a quite difficult, uh, difficult situation, not speaking about, about the fact that uh, German policy to renewables and underdeveloped uh, infrastructure is causing following things. In Germany, the renewables are first of all around the Baltic Sea and, uh, and the North Sea, and the consumption is first of all in Bavaria, which is the most industrialized part of the Germany. And uh, this is causing that because the Germans didn't build uh, proper connections from, uh, from north to the south, part of the transit is going through Czech Republic. We are also the transit country of electricity from Germany to Germany uh, with the risk that in the case of big production of, from renewables, we may face the problem uh, of uh, blackout. I would say so far so good. We managed to avoid any blackout, but um, we, are, we are building transformators uh, that will make sure that it will not happen in the worst case scenario. But what is, what is the real challenge is how to, uh, how to develop uh, um, new power stations if the economy is not good at this moment. In particular, if we have ambition to use the nuclear power station, uh, power stations as a source of electricity in, in, uh, in the future, and, it's, uh, and we are seeing it as a contribution to a low carbon economy because uh, uh, these problems the nuclear power stations are solving. One obvious solution how to solve the problem uh, for, for building the uh, nuclear power station was developed in Great Britain for building uh, the nuclear blocks in Hinkley Point C, what is a British power station and it's called contract for difference. It means the guarantee is given to the investor that in the case the prices will not be as expected, uh, they will be paid the sum from public resources. It was finally approved uh, by European Commission, but I must say the Czech government was not brave enough to vote for something similar roughly year, year ago, because uh, government was afraid to have another subsidization uh, scheme like in the case of renewables. Because, uh, because of the boom of renewables from photovoltaic resources around the years 2009 and 2010, which was stopped too late, we are paying now $2 billion yearly from uh, asset consumers and asset taxpayers. And uh, I would say nobody is happy about it. 
neither households nor companies, and everybody is afraid to repeat something like this with contract for, for difference with the, uh, with the nuclear energy. Anyway, we still, uh, still do believe that uh, we, should, uh, we should build the nuclear blocks, but we are not sure uh, which company should build it, because uh, so far the company with, uh, which was supposed to build it is called Chess. It's a main producer of electricity in the Czech Republic, and it's a publicly listed corporation. A problem with publicly listed corporation that is permanently evaluated by markets, uh, by the price of shares, by the rating of the bonds, rating of the companies, and um, it's not clear whether uh, capital markets are able to evaluate such a long-term investment like is uh, nuclear block, because what we are talking about, we are talking about what is the task to evaluate uh, whether it will be profitable to build the block uh, which will be in operation between uh, 2035 and 2095 and you are supposed to do it in 2015. That's quite a challenging job and um, um, capital markets do have tendency to overvaluate the risk of, uh, of, uh, of such an uh, exercise. So this is the challenge we are, we are facing now, how to, how to build it and whether we must provide any, any guarantee and who should build it uh, if uh, there is, um, uh, there is such, a, uh, such a risk of, uh, of return of this investment. There is another important challenge for, for building a power, a nuclear power station in those days, because if we are looking on European experience recently, it's always uh, as minimum twice as much longer as it was planned and twice as much expensive as it was planned. And it's true for Finland, France, Slovakia, uh, there are very few good stories of building quickly nuclear uh, nuclear power station. So one of the ideas is that if we will decide finally to build uh, nuclear power station, it would be good to have a supplier of the technology as a co-owner up to 49% of this newly built block. Not because we would like to keep this entity uh, as a owner forever, but to, uh, to give them incentives to really finish it quickly because they would be option scheme. You can, you can obviously exit if you do not want to stay to be co-owner, but only when, when it is in operation. This is how we are trying to learn the lesson from, uh, from the failures of, uh, of others. So I, I could speak a bit more about uh, energy, but I think the time is running out and I would, I would like to discuss with you because it's always good if it is also driven by demand and not only by supply. This. Uh, those, those discussion. Uh, a last thing uh, I, I would like uh, I would like to say about uh, not only about uh, energy routes through Ukraine. Uh, we have big interest in uh, in uh, in uh, solving uh, the problems over over there. Um, they have been uh, to put it completely. Uh, properly and politically correctly, uh, correctly. They, were, uh, they used to be, under previous regime, uh, three uh, Slav-led federations. 
used to be Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, and uh, Soviet Union. And I must say that uh, at the beginning, we didn't realize how much we have achieved uh, by uh, so-called velvet divorce. Velvet divorce was seen as something obvious in, uh, in, in Czech Republic. Um, it was not completely perfect solution, but we have uh, nowadays very good, uh, very good relations with the, uh, with the Slovaks. Uh, earlier this week, I was on the, on the common meeting of Czech and Slovak governments. We are, uh, we are cooperating with, uh, in many areas, and uh, we are, for example, meeting on uh, Czech-Slovak balls in Prague to give you only some kind of social events. And uh, now we have realized that it should be benchmarked for dissolution of uh, former Yugoslavia and former Soviet Union. Unfortunately, it was not go going this way. Uh, it finished in, in wars. Um, and uh, it, is, it is bad thing, but uh, what we should do uh, from, uh, from outside to try to do our best and to, uh, to minimize the damage which happened uh, uh, because of this unorganized dissolution of, uh, of those uh, state entities, because maybe those nations will be living in uh, separate states, but um, uh, they should, uh, uh, they should uh, cooperate. And I would, uh, I would like to tell you maybe uh, United States, US government should consider bigger participation in solving uh, uh, Ukraine crisis because I'm not sure whether it can be finished only in, in the format Germany, France, Russia, and Ukraine. Maybe I will finish on this and thank you for your attention and uh, I'm ready to react on your comments and questions. Thank you, Mr. Minister, for this very, let's say, compelling and very comprehensive overview of all the issues you are grappling with on a daily basis. Uh, we have about 15 minutes left for a moderated conversation, and also I want to engage the audience. But let me just fire away some quick questions, follow-up questions. First on the economy, because you started with the economy, and you are one of the most vocal supporters of the Czech Republic's Eurozone accession. Uh, and you said on record that uh, in a 2019 to 2021 framework, it's entirely feasible and, and realistic. Yet, if you look at the numbers and when it comes to public perception, uh, I think it was last December, there was a Eurobarometer study that uh, said that about 25% of the Czech electorate supports such an accession. So what are you doing in order to prepare the population for such a move? First of all, what's the realistic time frame for the accession to the Eurozone for the Czech Republic, what are the compelling arguments to do so, and then how can you change that public perception? Uh, well, this is a good question. First of all, uh, I would like to say one, one thing to, to, um, to introduce Euro into any country, including Czech Republic, uh, is not, uh, it's a, it's a political economic issue. People do have tendency to separate those issues from economic perspective, from political perspective, but it's a really political economic, uh, economic issue because it means dramatic, uh, dramatic change. It's not only, not only technical. 
and uh, yeah, if it would be more an economic side, it would be easy because uh, technically for Czech Republic, uh, we are uh, part of hardcore of European Union, more than thousand countries uh, that are a bit outside the cycle because we are so much connected with the German economy that the argument about uh, cycles are irrelevant. Uh, uh, to have the same currency, which is valid on the territory of uh, for the Republic of Germany, would be would be great from economic perspective. But I must I must say the political side uh, of the same coin is not so easy, and that is maybe the reason that uh, we have uh, we have we have so far uh, so far limited public uh, public support, and obviously uh, for for politicians it's very uh, very difficult to go into introduction of euro if uh, there is not uh, wide political consensus for it. And uh, wide political consensus means that you should have not only majority of parliamentarian parties in favor, you should have in favor uh, as well um, uh, business organizations. They should be engine of, uh, of integration, trade unions on board, and last but not least, the central bank. And one of our bottlenecks is central bank because previous president appointed as a board members only those guys or girls who expressed the negative attitude about common currency. And so the one thing is to, to change the uh, members of the central bank board because uh, the central bank, uh, bank role is uh, in this exercise much bigger than a technical one. They are sometimes telling, we will do whatever the politicians will tell us. Uh, but it's not as easy. But as I understand, by 2017, that change can be effectuated and the Central Bank Board will look very, very differently uh, two years from now. Uh, my second question, uh, you mentioned this in your presentation, is about TTIP. And there is a very strong push uh, by the European Union to include an energy chapter or address at least the energy trade aspects in, in the TTIP agreement. And then almost equally, if not stronger, pushback from the US side not to deal with these issues or not necessarily in the framework of, of TTIP. You had some meetings with USTR while you were here in Washington. What's your perception? What's your understanding where these issues stand? What's the uh, realistic prospect in terms of including uh, energy in the, in the TTIP agreement? And then if so, what would be the actual substance or what would be some of the issues that such a chapter would cover? Y yes, I must, uh, I must confirm that uh, there is even open open the issue whether a chapter on energy will be part of, of TTIP. I, I was not given clear message here in Washington. It was not fully excluded, would be my understanding, but uh, it's not for sure. And why Europe uh, would like to have it, um, Europe has a problem with its competitiveness because of too expensive energy, and there is a hope that it, would, it will help a bit. Last question before I throw the floor open to the audience uh, is about the gas diversification, which you touched upon also in your presentation. And you said that the sudden gas corridor is a critical component in diversifying Europe's energy supply, gas supply going forward. And you mentioned, uh, of course, TANAP, uh, the pipeline that will bring gas from Azerbaijan through Turkey. Uh, but there is a big missing chunk of infrastructure in Central Europe in order to bring that gas, especially later in additional quantities, to the heart of Europe. And you, together with Slovakia, you're promoting a project called e which is sort of a 
pseudo-Nabucco in many ways, as far as I understand. They would bridge that gap and bring the gas from the Turkish-Bulgarian border all the way to Central Europe. So if you could just talk about that project, what would be uh, the route, what would be uh, the advantage of that, that would be great. Uh, yeah, the, the advantage would be would be obvious if uh, if the gas from Azerbaijan or, or elsewhere would would reach uh, European border, let's say in Bulgaria, it's uh, it's uh, necessary uh, to uh, to get it to the north. It means to to Romania, Hungary, uh, Slovakia to have alternative source. Um, well, frankly speaking, we are supporting it because uh, we have been asked by our Slovak friends. We don't have uh, too big, uh, too big our direct interest uh, because of the reasons I have mentioned. We have already two pipelines, and we are build, We will be building third one to to Polish Polish port, but um, you know, we we do not see the uh, the reason not to support it. The problem is uh, that the Slovaks were not sure themselves through which countries it should go. Whether it should go through Hungary to Romania, or it should surpass. Uh, Hungary through Ukraine uh, to Romania. Um, for me, this project is a bit fuzzy, although we are giving the general support. It's indeed hard to, uh, hard to decide today which one is the bigger transit risk. Is it Ukraine or is it Hungary? Uh, in any case, let me throw the floor open to the audience. And if you could just identify yourself and then state your question, sir, please. Uh, Brian Beery, Washington correspondent for Europolitics. Um, a very related question. Uh, the Turkish Stream um, proposed pipeline um, is already dividing sort of EU countries, um, Greece uh, being favorable to it, looking for funding, the European Commission um, being not favorable to it. Um, what's your position on the substance of whether that should go ahead and also on the procedure? Do you think the EU has a role in terms of when these intergovernmental or th these uh, connector agreements are done? Should the EU get involved before the agreements are done? Um, well, um, we are observing as well with great interest uh, this, uh, this story uh, about uh, South Stream, which was changed into Turkish Stream uh, recently. I was speaking with the officials in, um, uh, in, uh, in Serbia and also in, uh, in Turkey. Uh, when it has been decided uh, about cancelling the uh, South Stream projects, the Russians didn't tell Bulgarians and uh, the Serbs, or, or they told them afterwards. And the first uh, idea was to, uh, to create direct connection to Turkey within the line of the Blue Stream. And then they have discovered that it's quite difficult because uh, they, are, uh, they are basically mountains under, under the water in, in Black Sea if you are going directly to Turkey. And now they have decided that they will follow the pre-planned uh, South Stream only before Bulgarian coast they were diverted to, to Turkey and eventually to, to create a hub over there. I was speaking with uh, several Turkish ministers and uh, was, what was a bit surprising, I, 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 I have got confusing message. One of the ministers told me, okay, we have signed uh, the memorandum with, with Russians and uh, we don't know whether it will be really, really done because it's only a memorandum and um, God knows what will happen. And second minister told me that, um, okay, we have memorandum and uh, final contract will be in three months. So uh, I am not sure what will happen. 
And the Turks were first, um, they were afraid of, of the message which, which was coming from Far East uh, because uh, there was, uh, mm, there was uh, announced yes, roughly a year ago the, another project, Power of Siberia. And uh, suddenly it has been discovered that the deal is so bad for Russia that they are renegotiating the deal with Chinese at the moment. Uh, so it's not clear uh, what will be the conditions for, uh, for power of Siberia. Why it is important for Turkey? Uh, because uh, they have been offered good conditions, but they are not sure whether they will be fulfilled because of this uh, experience with, uh, uh, with uh, power of, of, of Siberia. And, uh, and as concern of the European Union, uh, uh, the, uh, the idea is that if the Turkey stream will go, uh, will go from Russia to Turkey, uh, it will solve another problem uh, which is causing the tensions uh, in between uh, Russia or Gazprom on one side and the European Union. It's uh, access to the gas pipelines because uh, European Union is trying to tell um, who will have access to uh, this, for example, this Opal pipeline, which is a connection from uh, Nord Stream to Czech border because uh, they would like to, to use European, uh, European rules for organizing the transport of, of, of gas and access to infrastructure. While the Russians do have now the idea, uh, we will build a big, uh, big hub in Turkey on the European border. And you Europeans, if you will be eager to have some, uh, some uh, gas, so build your infrastructure yourself and you will, you will have chance to, to tell uh, what will be conditions uh, to the connection to this hub, but not to the to the earlier uh, gas pipeline to uh, to to this point. And uh, well, the Turkish uh, representatives do understand that uh, if they will uh, build this connection, it will uh, it will be challenge for the cooperation with Europe. On the other hand, uh, the overall situation is not easy because it seems to me that. And they don't believe that uh, they will any time switch uh, from candidate country into member state of European Union. Donna. Uh, thank you. It's uh, Dana Marshall with the Transnational Strategy Group, and thank you for those comments, Minister. In last December's US-EU energy dialogue, there, was an, there were a lot of agreements there. One of them was an uh, encouragement of LNG imports uh, into Kirk Island. Uh, you hadn't discussed that a lot, discussed a lot about energy pipelines, Azerbaijan. I wonder if you could give us your thoughts about how that may fit into uh, energy security in your particular part of the continent and also in further in Southeast Europe. Yeah, uh, if I do understand properly, you are speaking about uh, Kirk Island terminal yes. in Croatia. Yeah, uh, it is. Uh, it is a part of this uh, bigger project. I was. I was speaking about only about uh, northern part. It means a connection in between Czech Republic and uh, Polish uh, ports. Vinoušče. It should go uh, to the south uh, through uh, through uh, Austria, uh, Slovenia to Krk. But uh, there is a big difference uh, in uh, in Poland. Uh, they are close uh, to the end of building the terminal 
and uh, in uh, in Croatia it's only vision. It's in the lo really long term perspective. We will uh, we will think about it. Obviously, we will cooperate uh, in this project. But uh, for us, as I have said, it's about force pipeline, force source, and uh, the problem we are solving now whether we need to, to build another connection directly from, uh, from uh, Czech Republic to Baumgarten in Austria, or we can transit it through Slovakia, because uh, we think that it would be cheaper the second option. Uh, but uh, we need some kind of agreement with both uh, Slovaks and Austrians, and we are working on this. Thank you. Fred? Mr. Minister, Fred Kemp, Atlantic Council. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for coming here. And this is just the kind of conversation we'd like to have at the Atlantic Council, uh, full of meat and substance. And and uh, uh, and, um, and we were also happy to have you in Istanbul as well. Hope to have you there again. Here's my question. It was at the end of your statement. And I don't want this to get lost. Um, you talked about the velvet divorce as a model. Can you go deeper on that? A model in what way for a situation that we're looking at now? And the second thing is you said that the US needs to be more deeply involved in the Ukraine issue in order to find a solution. Also go a little bit deeper on that if you could. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will try. First of all, <laughs> the direct answer is that uh, the chance was lost and uh, there will be uh, no uh, velvet divorce in uh, none of those countries. Uh, what should be what should be done in in Ukraine? Uh, obviously, uh, we are now in the situation uh, not uh, for uh, for having uh, a good solution and bad solution. We don't have this uh, option. Uh, we have uh, we have bad and worse solution, and maybe they should be used uh, also uh, experience from uh, from former Yugoslavia, where some solutions were used. They were not perfect, but. Uh, they are causing that there is no war. For example, in Bosnia, there was the Dayton Agreement that was, um, uh, that was solving the war. So maybe something similar should be developed for, 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 for Ukraine, because the situation is uh, extremely dangerous over there. And the uh, U.S. involvement is uh, to be by the, by the table because uh, without uh, direct American pressure, it will be difficult to reach it. Reach it. The related question uh, in conjunction with the Ukraine crisis, uh, can you quantify the effects of the Russia sanctions on the Czech economy? And then what can you and what are you doing in order to mitigate those effects? Um, they are, uh, I must say that they are, uh, they are two things uh, which are interconnected. They are sanctions and uh, they are consequences of, uh, of low, uh, low prices of crude oil and gas. Uh, uh, they are different estimates and uh, I, 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 would, uh, I would guess that uh, the bigger influence happened uh, with this crude oil, crude oil prices. Uh, then, uh, then with the, uh, with the, uh, with the sanctions, uh, and with the with the low crude oil prices uh, became extremely important. This part of sanctions that is about capital markets and access of the public uh, Russian public entities to the capital market, because 
If you compare, for example, Azerbaijan and Russia, both countries are facing the problem that the revenues from the crude oil and gas are smaller than normal. In both cases, you can expect that sooner or later prices will be higher. So what is obvious solution? You take a loan. But you must have somebody who will provide you credit. And, uh, and this, is the, uh, this is the problem, this is the major problem of, of Russia, that there are low prices of crude oil and uh, there is uh, limited access to, to, to financing uh, the current problem. From our perspective, uh, we, uh, we had a relatively uh, a limited decline of export to Russia before the end of the year. It was uh, around uh, 6%. But it's much more dramatic uh, after New Year. First figures are showing decline 30% in, in export. So that I would, uh, I would see as a consequence of, um, of low crude oil prices uh, than of the sanctions. And on the, on the, they were also, these were European, uh, European uh, sanctions, but they were also counter sanctions of, uh, of Russia. Uh, I must say they have been uh, targeted uh, mainly on uh, Poland and Baltic states, which has been uh, heavily influenced because they are traditional exporters of the food products and, uh, and things like this. Uh, what, uh, mm, uh, we had also some damage, but it was mainly export of, uh, of cheese, and, but the volume was relatively limited, around $10 million. Uh, because they, they did it selectively, they, uh, they didn't sanction import of Czech beer. Yeah, they... <laughs> that, would, that would be the end of days. So. Yeah, yeah. We have time for one more question. Uh, Mr. Minister, I'm Ariel Cohen, uh, Center for Energy, Natural Resources and Geopolitics. Thank you for an excellent presentation. Uh, my question is about nuclear reactors. There are a lot of legacy nuclear reactors from Russia. Uh, from the Soviet Union uh, still operating. And as the question of replacement uh, is coming up, uh, beyond the European concerns about safety and environment, do you perceive the dependence on Russian technology and Russian fuel supply, because all these reactors are depending on Russian fuel supply, do you perceive that as a matter of energy security to the extent we have concerns about gas? Thank you. And if I may just add to that question, if you could just briefly evaluate the Hungarian deal with Rosatom on Paksh, that would be highly interesting. <laughs> okay. Well, um, as concern of, of, of Czech nuclear power stations, uh, we, have, uh, uh, we have two. Uh, one, uh, uh, both of them are original uh, Soviet technology. Uh, but the Temelin uh, was finished with Westinghouse uh, support in uh, in 90s, so uh, there is a different way of, of controlling it. Um, both uh, uh, both nuclear power stations are operating fairly well. Uh, I I would say that uh, paradoxically, dependence on external sources. Uh, in the case of nuclear power stations, is uh, is smallest comparing uh, comparing gas and other sources, because uh, uh, the the main bottleneck is that countries should have uh, sufficiently qualified nuclear engineers who are running uh, the plant. 
Czech Republic or former Czechoslovakia, we have nuclear engineers, they are able to operate it. And uh, the advantage of uh, nuclear power plants is that you can, uh, you can buy uh, the nuclear fuel for many years if you have enough money for it. And you can even, uh, even switch from uh, one fuel to another. Because uh, Temelin was, was using, no, 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 it's, uh, it's happened, it's not theory. Uh, the uh, the Temelin was using uh, 12 uh, Westinghouse uh, fuel, uh, now they are using 12 fuel. They were able to switch from Westinghouse to, to Russian fuel, they can switch back. So, so there, um, the, the only problem is that, that switching is not immediate. And uh, you must have enough fuel to cover this uh, this switching uh, switching period. But I would say, uh, comparing for for example, gas power station, it's uh, then it's nearly immediate stop if you do not have uh, the supply. While here you have uh, much more space for maneuvering. As concern of the of the Paksh, we are looking with big interest uh, how it will fly because it's done special way, it's an international treaty. Um, uh, we will see whether it will be built uh, in time. And also it's interesting how will be solved exactly the same problem with the, with the fuel, because now there is a, there is a pressure that there should not be uh, a dependency on, on, uh, on one fuel. And uh, here is well, it would have said with, with another resources. It's it's good to have uh, more than one source of the fuel, even uh, even for nuclear power stations, because it's it's giving you not only better uh, better position in the emergency situation, but also a better position for negotiation about price. Mr. Minister, thank you so very much for this uh, truly excellent presentation, great and insights and. Uh, very candid answers. And uh, let's just uh, give a round of applause for the minister. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for the possibility to be here.